I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is a, a psalm of thanksgiving, as we shall see. So we focus our thoughts on our Lord and uh, it stirs us to, to give thanks to Him. Let's uh, just begin by uh, going to the Lord together. Would you please join me in prayer? Our Lord, our God, what a, what a great and mighty and awesome God you are. Lord, you are so good, righteous and holy, and as we have affirmed, Lord, of your loving kindness and your faithfulness, and how you bless your people, and that you bless us, Lord, so that we might praise you, praise the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us today to really just examine our hearts through the lens of your word. Help us to rightly understand, Lord, what this text says, to rightly understand the the privilege and responsibility we have to to give thanks to the Lord, our God, and how you intend to use that, Lord, to be a a witness to the world. Lord, tune our hearts. Lord, we are so prone to grumble and complain and murmur, just like the Israelites. Lord, work in our hearts today, tuning our hearts to sing your praise, to sing to you joyfully, and to give you thanks with a glad heart. Do you work amongst us today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Beloved, in first, sorry, in Second Timothy chapter three, verse one, the Holy Spirit warns us that living in the last days is not going to be an easy thing. It's just not going to be easy. And it's going to be a time that is characterized by ungodliness. And even as we're focusing on thankfulness this week, we'll note that the last times will be a time of ungratefulness. But not just ungratefulness by the world, ungratefulness by those who would claim to know God. I'll just read that to you as by way of kind of an introduction. Paul says there in 2 Timothy 3, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. All that you would think, man, that sounds like the pagans. But listen to this next statement. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Now there's just so much there, but today because of our theme of thanksgiving and where we're headed, looking at a psalm of thanksgiving, I want you to understand that a mark... A key mark of the end times is that people would be ungrateful. That is, they would refuse to give thanks. There is a vital and an unbreakable connection between true salvation and one's attitude of gratitude or lack thereof. And let me be clear, we're not talking about an attitude it is a way of life and full of actions. Much in the same way we talk about the love of God and loving each other, it's full of actions. To give thanks is full of actions. It starts with an attitude, but it cannot be contained to that. John MacArthur describes the connection between 
between um, an ungrateful heart and an unregenerate heart this way. He says, being unthankful is the very essence of the unregenerate heart. Let me repeat that. Being unthankful is the very essence of the unregenerate heart. Being ungrateful, being unthankful, refusing to give thanks, or as we'll see in a moment when we expound upon this, complaining is the very essence of the unregenerate heart. The murmuring and complaining are the opposite of giving thanks. It's ingratitude instead of gratitude. Those kind of complaining attitudes, being unthankful, are attitudes that reflect a person who has not been born again by faith in Jesus Christ. They might claim to know God as those described in 2 Timothy 3, but but they have denied Jesus, the one who makes us holy and gives us the Holy Spirit to live for Him. For those those, uh, hearts who have been made new by faith in in Christ and Christ alone, those hearts will reflect a, a new life of being grateful and thankful to God. Stated uh, positively, a, a consistent and joyful pattern of being thankful to God is an indicator that you have been truly born again. It's, it's simply impossible, beloved, to be a true Christian and not be regularly and consistently thankful to God. You show me someone who is consistently complaining, and I'll show you an unbeliever. doesn't matter whether they go to church or read their Bible or whether they profess the name of Christ or not. If they are consistently complaining and murmuring, they are unredeemed. The the, the connection is so unbreakable. John MacArthur correctly calls uh, gratitude one of the essential attitudes, one of the essential motivations and the essential spiritual realities in the life of the church. It's an essential attitude, it's an essential motivation, and it's an essential spiritual reality in the life of the church. Something that's essential means that if you remove it, life is gone. And essentially, that's the case that the scriptures give to us. So as we gear up for a special week focused on Thanksgiving, and I am so very thankful that our country recognizes and gives us this time off and we can celebrate with lots of good food, we must realize that believers are called to a lifestyle of thanksgiving. This can be one of the culminating events, a springboard for the entire year, but it is not just a, a time of uh, turkey and, and football and, and spending time with family. Rightfully, as believers, it is a time of giving thanks to God. So as we consider the week of Thanksgiving, we are turning our attention to Psalm 100 in order to give our hearts a bit of a tune-up so that we would be ever more thankful to God for who He is and what He has done. So with that in mind, let me just read to you Psalm 100. It's not a long psalm. A psalm of thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. The Lord, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. 
and his faithfulness to all generations. Beloved, the psalmist calls and commands all believers to joyfully give thanks to God. And as as we get started, and really before we get into the details of this, I want to help you understand a bit of why we're looking at this. Why are we studying the whole issue of Thanksgiving? Well, one, it's convenient and it's on the calendar. But but more importantly than that, as, as I have mentioned to you, gratitude is an essential characteristic of a true believer. So studying the topic of gratitude is justified by the fact that Thanksgiving is a non-negotiable characteristic of being a true believer. It's a major theme in Scripture. And I didn't count these, but I read a commentator who said that there are 138 passages about Thanksgiving. 138 passages about Thanksgiving. So something that's repeated in Scripture like this is a major theme that we dare not miss. But why are we looking at Psalm 100 in particular? Well, we could say, in a general sense, Psalm 100 is a part of Holy Scripture, and as such deserves to be studied. So it didn't, doesn't have to be reserved for the Sunday before Thanksgiving. But just, just to say that as part of, our, part of the Scriptures that God has given to us, Psalm 138 is an instrument in our sanctification. So we should study it from that sense. We could, we tur- we could turn to any one of the other 137 passages on, on Thanksgiving. Uh, we happen to turn to this one. Any one of these, we would be edified and sanctified through the power of the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. But an, a, another reason, and probably the more significant reason I turned to Psalm 100 this morning, is, is that it is the only psalm to be so described as a psalm of thanksgiving, or more appropriately, a psalm for thanksgiving. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Before verse 1, it says, a psalm for thanksgiving. Now, I'm not referring to the title. Many of our Bibles put um, uh, titles that are usually in bold lettering above the psalm. Those are placed there by the editor, whoever the editors were of that particular translation that you have. What I'm referring to is the lighter text, usually smaller, sometimes italicized. It says a psalm for thanksgiving. That, beloved, is not an editor's comment. That transcription goes back a long, long ways. That is called an inscription. We call them a superscription when they come before the psalm or a subscription when they come after the psalm. But not every psalm has these, but many psalms have these. These are not editorial comments. They are intended to be read with the text of Scripture. Uh, My Hebrew professor from the Master Seminary, Dr. Barak, who is now retired, he argues that the accuracy, integrity, and inspiration of the psalm inscription should not be denied, unquote. In other words, don't, don't, we're not to ignore these, whether they come before or after the psalm. And again, Dr. Barrick explains that, that, in, that these psalm titles, um, if they are musical material, should be viewed as subscriptions, even if they've gotten confused over the years and appear before the psalm. There's good evidence for this that we won't take time to get, get into now. But if it's a musical note, it really belongs with the psalm that came before it. If, if it's in the, what I call the superscription position, it belongs with the psalm before it. But any kind of historical or other information, um, it belongs with the psalm that it, that it uh, precedes. 
So this, what this means, and again, I'll quote Dr. Barak here. He says, the psalm inscriptions are ancient, authoritative, and accurate. The evidence supports their inspiration. We must preserve them, correctly appropriate them to the respective psalms, and read them privately and publicly and expound upon them. So I'm expounding upon the fact that this is a psalm for thanksgiving. And by that, it was not intended by the American holiday we call Thanksgiving. This is a psalm that calls believers to thanksgiving, to giving of thanks to God. It's the only psalm, and of all 150 psalms, that is so designated. This psalm may have been sung in conjunction with the thanks offering that that is mentioned in the Old Testament. The thank offering was one of the one of the offerings in the Old Testament that was given as a free will. It wasn't a sin offering. It wasn't the burn offering. It was another offering. We won't take time to go uh, look at all the different offerings. But it was one of the free will offerings. This is a thank offering. And this song, this song, uh, the psalm means a song. This song may have been sung when they offered or gave their uh, thank offering to the Lord at the temple or at the sanctuary. So as we look at this psalm, look at it from that, from that lens, that everything here is intended to teach us something about thanksgiving or giving of thanks. And so the whole, the whole sum of this is really a call to a believer's joyful giving of thanks to God. I mean, that, that's the main point. Understand that all believers are called to give joyful thanks to God. And the word, the word joyful, as we'll see, is, uh, really appears in several places in the psalm. is very important. This isn't just a mechanical giving of thanks. Yeah, I've got to do this. This isn't the kind of thing like, you know, when you're growing up and, and somebody gives you a gift and they give you the gift and you're like so excited about that gift, you're ready to run off and play with it. And your mom or dad says, uh, <clears throat> what are you supposed to say? And you're like, oh, thanks. You know, and you run off then after you say thanks. It's, it's, it's not that kind of thanks. This is a heartfelt thanks that is a response of the one who has been made new by the Lord. So the first point of verses 1 and 2, uh, many people describe it as praise, and the idea of thanksgiving and praise are very interrelated. You cannot separate them from one to another. But I like to think of verses 1 and 2 as a portrait of a believer's joyful giving of thanks to God. So that's where we're going to look at it from. Verses 1 and 2 is a portrait of a believer's joyful giving of thanks to God. In other words, what does it mean to give thanks? If you say, I want to give thanks to God, what do I need to do? Verses 1 and 2 explain what you need to do. The first thing you need to do is to shout joyfully. To shout joyfully. You often don't think about shouting in the context of worship. It, it, it is this word, shout joyfully, is, is really just one word in the Hebrew, shout. But it's translated shout joyfully in the New American Standard Bible be, because of the context. Context of approaching the king, of worshiping him. But also, if you look at verse 2, it talks about serving the Lord with gladness. And again, when we talk about singing, there's the idea of joyful singing. 
So it has the idea of shouting joyfully. Now, this isn't, this isn't a generic loud shout. You know, this isn't the shout of, you know, a brother to a sister telling him it's dinner time. And that's not what this is. It's not a shout of a war cry. It's not the shout of the alarm of battle. It's not the shout of a, of a signal to march. It's not the shout in triumph over enemies. It's, it's really not even the shout of applause. That's appropriate. These are, these are way, these, the word shout is used in Scripture. This isn't even of a shout of one crying out in distress. This is a shout of religious and heartfelt impulse. That's an important, important concept. It is a shout of religious and heartfelt impulse. It's, it's almost like an involuntary reaction. If you are saved, when you see the Lord, this will be your reaction. Right? We, we understand a little bit of this from the world of sports. So although it's not a perfect analogy, follow with me here. I have seen most of you, uh, not all of you, but in some contexts, you get like really excited when your team wins. So excited, like when they score a goal or win the game, you'll go, yes! And you'll jump and you'll shout. Almost involuntarily. You didn't plan it. You're just so wrapped up in your team that when they win, you like shout. It's, you, you don't have to plan it. It's not contrived. It just happens. Right? That's the best analogy that I can think of for what the scriptures are talking about here. When you see the Lord, when you come before him, right? and now we do so by faith, but later by sight, we will shout with joys of exclamation, there is the Lord! That's what we're talking about. Beloved, the Hebrew word here originally meant a glad shout, as James Boyce explains. He says it's a loud shout, such as loyal subjects might utter when their king appears among them, the emphasis being on gladness. That's what we're talking about. It is, it is that shout, that shout, that joyful shout. And notice who, this, who is the object of the shouting? To the Lord. To the Lord. Beloved, the uh, scriptures... Um, differentiate between Hebrew words that, that are both translated Lord. And if you notice in your Bibles on this one, it is Lord. So there's, there's the, the O, R, and D are in small capitals. That's indicative that the psalmist is using the Hebrew name Yahweh. Yahweh is the name by which God revealed himself to Moses. The name literally means the I am or I am. That. That's who he is referring to. So we're to shout joyfully to the one who is and always has been and always will be. So it's not just talking about Lord in the sense of master. That's certainly true. But it's more here. He is the one who is and who was and will always be. And notice that the psalmist, we don't know who he was, could have been David. Uh, Psalm 101 is written by David. Again, you have that superscription that tells us that. We don't know about this psalm. But the psalmist, whoever he is, is not limiting the worship to Israel. This is not just a psalm for thanksgiving for Israel. 
The end of verse 1 says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. All the earth. Every nation. Every tribe. Every tongue. No matter what skin complexion you have. The psalmist is calling the peoples of the earth to praise Him. So in a sense, that, that psalm that we just sung, May the Peoples Praise Him, is, is in part, uh, flows out in part from psalms like this one. I don't know if it's this particular one, but many of these. You know, the Lord intended Israel not to be an isolated uh, kind of um, uh, uh, a nation unto itself, just blessed for the sake of itself. Right? The Lord said He would blaze, bless Abraham. Bless him and cause him to be fruitful, multiply, but more importantly, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. You see, the purpose of Israel was, was not just to be some, some cloister of a nation. They were to be cloistered in a sense so that the, the influences of the world wouldn't change them and transform them. But they were never, ever to be an isolated nation in the sense of influence. They were called to be the ambassadors for God to the world, calling the world to worship the Lord in holiness and truth. And here we see a bit of that flavor where the psalmist is saying, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. All are are due to worship the Lord. That is, everyone on earth, a a believer or not, is... is, uh, obligated uh, by duty to, to shout joyfully to the Lord. Now, as believers, this is going to come inherently with, with uh, the transformation the Lord does with you. But it's one of those, one of those things that is stimulated by the, the text. It, it, it is a reflex. At the same time, it's a reflex that needs stimulation and it needs cultivation in our lives because of the sinful tendencies of our hearts. So, so understand, beloved, that we are to shout joyfully to the Lord and not just, again, this isn't just for Israel, but by way of application to all believers. So that's the first kind of aspect of, of what it means to, to give thanks to God, to shout joyfully to the Lord. Verse 2 explains the next aspect, to serve the Lord with gladness, to serve the Lord with gladness. Now, the, uh, the English word serve could be a little misleading. Um, if, if you simply stick to the English meaning of the word of the psalmist, you, you would think he's talking about doing things. And there are, t- there are places in the text where certainly, in the scriptures, where certainly we are called to do things for the Lord. For example, to be his witnesses or to be holy. Here, I want you to understand that the word serve is not being used in a context that talks about really uh, serving in the sense of doing things for the Lord. The word serve is connected with the word worship, much in the same way like thanksgiving is. But, but listen to this from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. You shall, only, sorry, you shall fear only the Lord, your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. Now, this is in a context where the, where the Israelites have been called to love the Lord their God and to love Him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that's the context. Moses is telling Israel what to do based on his input from, 
from the Lord. He's giving them, he's giving Israel uh, and uh, by extension believers out of our mandate of how we are to live to honor the Lord. And in that context, he says, you shall fear only the Lord, your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Now the word worship, and it's translated that way in the New American Standard Bible, is the same word that is serve in Psalm 100. It's the same word. The idea of serving is the idea of worship. And really, when the New Testament calls us to do things for the Lord, it is in that context that we do it with an attitude of worship to our Lord and our God. We see the similar connection between serving and worship in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 3 and 4. This is right in the, in the uh, giving of the Ten Commandments. So just jump right into that. Where the Lord says there, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the water under the earth. You shall not worship them. Catch this. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. I, the Lord, your God, am a, a jealous God. Don't worship or serve them. The, the idea of serving and, and is, is that similar idea of how serving is connected with worship is brought out by one of Jesus' teaching, more than one, but one in particular I'm going to highlight is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, God's, uh, Jesus there isn't talking about that you can't have two employers. That's, that's not at all what he's saying. That's obviously true. You can have two employers. Not two that are opposed to one another. But anyway, the, the point here is not of an employment, but the idea is that of worship. You cannot worship two masters. You, you can either worship money or you can worship God. And, and money, in that context, the wealth is just one of the many idols of the heart that can spring up within us. So the idea of serving the Lord is a, is a major theme in Scripture because the worship of God is a major theme in Scripture. Now, who are we called to serve? Serve the Lord. To serve the Lord with gladness. Serve Him with gladness. That, again brings to the fact that we're not talking about any kind of service that is, that is uh, begrudging. This isn't like, oh, yeah, I got I to gotta do this. You know, it's not like you, you're, uh, when you're younger, you're doing your chores, and, and you want, what you're really going to be doing is playing video games or playing soccer, and there's a whole list of chores, and you just say, oh, yeah, I got I to gotta take the garbage out, and I got I to gotta vacuum my room, and I got to put my clothes away. And this isn't that type of, of duty of, of serving and again, it's more the idea with worship. But, it, but it's, it's not the idea of a drudging duty. It is with gladness. We are to serve the Lord with gladness. And then on top of that, the next aspect, next aspect of, of giving thanks to God is to come before Him with joyful singing. The, the term come before Him means to come into His presence. Come before his face. Come into his presence with joyful singing. Now, in, in, every, in every context, in every situation in, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, when someone sees the risen, glorified Christ, or when they see 
a pre-incarnate appearance of the angel of the Lord, when they see that, they fall like a dead man because they, are, they realize that they're sinful, sinful human beings in the presence of a holy God. So the psalmist isn't here reflecting. He isn't, he isn't forgetting the fact that, that he is a sinner and God is holy. So he's not, he's not uh, like encouraging careless approach before God. What we can understand is that the thank offering, if, if this psalm was sung as, as a, with a thank offering, the thank offering came after the sin offering, came after the guilt offering. So the guilt and the sin are taken care of. So when we talk about the thank offering, it's not that the psalmist is forgetting that he's a sinner, it's that the sin has been dealt with. And having that, it's now the sin has been dealt with, you come before him with gladness, with joyful singing. With joyful singing. And notice, it's, he, the psalmist doesn't just say with a joyful attitude. Now, joyful, joyful singing comes from a joyful attitude. But with joyful singing. Singing is an important part of a Christian's spiritual growth. I have heard, I have heard uh, godly men say that if you show me someone who doesn't sing to the Lord, I'll show you an unbeliever. Now, the scriptures don't say that, so let's not add to the text. But there is a strong connection between singing and worship of God that he loves. He loves it when his people sing praises to his name, for he is worthy of that. And that's one of the reasons that we do sing is to offer up uh, that worship to our Lord. It's not the only reason we sing, but it is the primary reason that we sing. So that, that singing should come from a heart that has been made new, a heart that is joyful. And, and as we'll see later on, it's not a joy because of what's going on of the experience. It's the joy that comes from knowing that, that you are the Lord's and you are with him. So these actions, to shout joyfully, to serve the Lord with gladness, and to come with joyful singing, give us a portrait of what it is to give thanks to God. It's not an exhaustive portrait, beloved. Just understand that it's a, it's a portrait of, of highlights. If you want to understand what it means to give thanks to God, understand that it means to shout joyfully, to serve with gladness, and to come with joyful singing to the Lord. We want to move on to verse verse 3, where we'll see the motivation for a believer's joyful giving of thanks. So here the psalmist moves from the portrait of giving thanks to the motivation for a believer's joyful giving of thanks. You see in verse 3, he says, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is not he who has made us. It is, sorry, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is it's calling us to a, not a, just a dry theoretical knowledge, not a dictionary knowledge, not just an acceptance of some fact, but, but to know that the Lord himself is God. He is, and he's going to get into it, he is the creator. He is the one who, who began all. So our, our whole um, motivation for joyful giving is in God himself. Our giving of thanks to God is, is knowing that he himself 
is God. And the psalmist transitions from the idea that, that he is the Lord is God to the idea that he has made, it is he who has made us. So he, the, fact, the significance of the fact that he has made us means that he has authority over us. When, when you make something, you have the authority over it as to what it should do, why you made it. And so too, that, that analogy is being drawn out. The Lord made us in part to give thanks to his name. And the fact that, that, um, that we are to know that the Lord himself is God and he it is that made us feed into our giving of thanks to him. And the psalmist says, in, in some translations it may just say, we are his people, but, but it says, the NASB translated this way, he has made us and not we ourselves. In, in other words, we are not self-made men as we like to, the world likes to put it. We're not self-made, we're God-made. And, and here, the, the psalmist is probably pointing not just simply the fact that God created them as human beings, but he's probably pointing to the fact that he is... Uh, that God has called to himself believers who worship him. So here, in, this very, in a very subtle way, the psalmist is saying, it's he who has made us. In other words, we, we didn't go out, and we're going to talk about this uh, in a minute when we talk about the people and the sheep of his pasture. We, we didn't go out and pick a shepherd. We didn't go out and pick a God that we would, we would know and that we would worship. God has took, taken the initiative to, to reveal himself to us, he has made us not only as, as human beings, but he's made us as believers. He has given us the gift of faith in Jesus Christ to worship him and to follow him. He's made us, not we ourselves. We can't take any credit in this. And again, when, when you begin to take credit for things, it's going to short-circuit uh, gratitude. Right? You want to you wanna build gratitude, you want to encourage gratitude, you want to spur gratitude on. Think of all that the Lord has done. Dwell upon what he has done for you and really who he is. One thing to note in the psalm, it's not really about what he has done so much. It's what, who he is. It's his characteristics. Right? And those characteristics feed into things that he do, goes and does. But it's not primarily about that. It's, it's about his characteristics, about who he is. So the psalmist, the motivation, he says, is to, to know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. In other words, he has drawn us to, us, to himself. And we are the people and the sheep of his pasture. Right? So the psalmist is using some poetical language to talk about God's people as sheep. It's a familiar passage or a familiar analogy within scriptures. And if this was David that wrote this, we don't know. Undoubtedly, he would have been thinking of passages like he wrote of Psalm 23 and how the Lord is our shepherd. So the fact that he is our shepherd, we are his sheep, should, should cause us... Um, should, should cause us to spring up with joy of thanksgiving to God. So that, that deals with the motivation. Verse 4 deals with the mandate. So we've looked at the portrait of a believer's joyful giving of thanks to God, verses 1 and 2. Looked at the motivation for a believer's joyful giving of thanks to God in uh, verse 3. And now I want to look at the, really the mandate for a believer's joyful giving of thanks to God in verse 4. 
There we are, we, are, we are commanded to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now let's, let's talk about the analogy that's being used here. The psalmist used the analogy in verse 3 of, of a sheep and, a, and the path, being a pasture. It's his pasture where his sheep... But here the analogy has changed slightly. That going back to the, of that of those people coming to approach the the king, and he's saying, "Enter the gates uh, with thanksgiving and his courts with praise." So these we're not told what these gates are. They could be the gates of Jerusalem. They come into the gates of the city of Jerusalem and the courts, meaning the the courtyards, the the courtyard of worship as they approach the tabernacle. That very well could be the, the imagery that the psalmist is using there. To come, to enter his gates, come into his city, come into where, to his, um, his presence with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, that is that, that giving of thanks. Again, these are interrelated. What does it mean to give thanks? It means to praise, it means to worship him, to shout joyfully, to serve him with gladness, to come before him with joyful singing. So the psalmist here is kind of circling back with the ideas that he, he began with. We, we are to enter the Lord's presence with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You see how these words, the word praise, worship, thanksgiving, serving, they are all interrelated with one another. So our mandate is, is that we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. In other, words, in other words, as believers, we are called to worship God with thanksgiving, to worship Him with praise. And that thanksgiving and that praise, it can be with singing, with joyful singing, but it is not limited to that at all, beloved. We are to, to come before Him with joyful hearts. And, and the only way that our hearts should be joyful, the only approach that we can have before God, the only way we can approach God with a joyful heart is because of our hearts being made new through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Again, I mentioned that the fact that the thank offering was, came after the sin and guilt offering. We can only approach God in this way to, with joy, to bless His name, to give thanks to Him because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We can't come on any of our merits. Lord Jesus uh, says that all who believe in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but through him. And it's through Jesus Christ that we can enter his gates, God's gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We We can worship him in spirit and in truth, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the mandate for the believer's joyful giving of thanks is one, entering his, his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Just understanding you're commanded to give thanks. That, that's what the psalmist wants us to understand. To give thanks to him. You see that in the middle of verse four. That's a command. And, and, a, and a, um, a parallel idea with that is to bless his name. Now, we talk about blessing. We talk about blessing his name. We need to explain that just a moment. Because we we understand the word blessing in a sense. The Lord blesses us with our Lord Jesus Christ, with our Savior. The Lord blesses us with earthly earthly, um, goods and and things necessary for our life. The Lord blesses us with cars and food and clothing and shelter. 
So we understand the word blessing when, when the one who gives the blessing has a higher authority or has uh, greater riches and has the ability to give, to give to the one who has less, that is less fortunate. How is it that we can bless the Lord? We have nothing that he doesn't have. We have nothing that he didn't give to us. Right? We're not greater than him. His riches exceed us. His powers exceed us. His knowledge exceeds us. His wisdom exceeds us. How it is that we are to bless his name? Well, understand, beloved, the Lord has, has commanded us to bless his name with the idea of praise. The, the word bless, when you're talking about a, a person blessing God, you're talking about praise. Praise and adoration. That we bring blessing to God by adoring Him, by worshiping Him, by praising His name. It's not that He needs that. He's created us to worship Him, but He doesn't need it. God isn't a needy God that that needs a bunch of people to, to worship Him. He doesn't need it. But He desires that. And it's really one of the ways in which He magnifies His name is through the praises of His people. So you see that mandate in in verse 4. So there's the portrait of a believer's joyful giving of thanks in verses 1 to 2. There's the motivation for a believer's joyful giving of thanks in verse 3. There's the mandate of a believer's joyful giving of thanks in verse 4. And now let's see the reason for the believer's joyful giving of thanks to God. And this blends, uh, arguably, it blends with the motivation. But he really, the psalmist really comes out quite clearly with the reason for our joyful giving of thanks to God. In verse 5, you see the little uh, word there, for, that connects it with what has come before. That tells us that what is in verse 5 is, is really the reason for this command to give thanks The reason for the believer's joyful giving of thanks is that the Lord is good, that His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. You see a threefold reason there. The Lord is good. Beloved, understand that we're not just talking about good things. Notice, notice that in none of these reasons, he mentions that the reasons for giving the thanks, that the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. But notice what's not there for a moment. What's not there? It's not, there's nothing about giving of thanks for the temporal things, or the giving of thanks for good circumstances. Now, there are, there are times where we certainly need to do that. We need to give God thanks for what He has provided. We need to give Him thanks for those good times. But the significance of this is that the psalmist isn't focused on his circumstances. The psalmist isn't focused on the good things that God has given. Why is that so important? It's so important because it helps us to, to praise and give thanks to God even when things aren't going so well. You know, in some, some countries of the world that are cracking down on Christians, they can still sing with joyful thanksgiving to God. Not only can they, they should, they must. So I want to help us to see that, that joyful giving of thanks to God is not tied to what you have or what you don't have. The joyful giving of thanks is not tied to 
good circumstances or to bad circumstances. Certainly, if you have good circumstances, thank the Lord for that. It'd be a sin not to. But it also would be a sin not to give thanks to God even in the bad circumstances or the trying circumstances. Going back to the passage of Scripture we read about at the beginning, um, difficult times will come. And when difficult times come, unbelievers get ungrateful. They complain and they murmur. But believers still give thanks. Now, beloved, I I am not a uh, super Christian. I am tempted to grumble and complain and murmur just like you. But God wants to root that out of our lives because those things are thank killers. They're thank killers. they, They stimulate ingratitude and they really do short circuit the praise that God is worthy of. And when we give thanks, let's not be only focused on what God has given us, the temporal things. Again, it is right and good to give God thanks for the temporal things, the temporary things of life that he gives us. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my wife. Thankful for my house and the things that he's given us. But we need to be focused on the eternal things that God has given us, namely himself. Spurgeon said this, he says, an enlightened man is grateful to God for temporal blessings, but he is much more grateful to God for spiritual blessings. For temporal blessings do not last long. They're soon gone. Temporal blessings are not, are not definite marks of divine favor. Let me repeat this. This is Spurgeon saying this. Temporal blessings are not definite marks of divine favor since God gives them to the unworthy and to the wicked as well as to the righteous, unquote. That is so important for us to understand. Because we, we think that if we have lots, that that's a mark of divine favor. It's not. There's a lot of false teachers who are filthy rich that are not converted and saved. Right? But to the world's eyes, they look like they have God's divine favor. That's not the mark of God's divine favor, beloved. You want to know what the mark of divine favor is? It's, I, I would say it's thankfulness. Again, you show me a thankful person, a person who's thankful to God. Not just thankful in a generic sense. You know, because in our country, we have the, a holiday of Thanksgiving. It's, you, can, you can put up all the, the Thanksgiving signs you want to, and you probably won't offend anybody. But put up a sign that says, Give thanks to God. And define that as the God of the Scriptures, Jesus Christ. The world won't like that. But that's what we're called to do, to give thanks to him, for he is good. And his loving kindness is everlasting. That that loving kindness has has the idea of a steadfast love. Beloved, he'll never, if you are truly his, he will never let you go. Jesus said it this way, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Even When things get difficult, yes, even then. He may call some of you to live sacrificial lives for him, difficult lives. He may call some of you, some of us, to be martyrs for his name. But even then, he is with us. And he will provide for us. He'll protect us. Even then, he is good. Even then, we can sing with thanksgiving to God. 
Beloved, understand that, that through the prism of Psalm 100, we, we see the portrait of, of a believer's joyful giving of thanks to God, the motivation for a believer's joyful giving of thanks to God, the mandate for a believer's joyful giving of thanks, and the reason for the believer's joyful giving of thanks. We need to add our chorus to the long lineage of believers who have joyfully given thanks to the Lord. Again, not just today or tomorrow, not just Thursday on Thanksgiving, but as a way of life to give thanks to God and to cultivate that as a lifestyle, that to grow in that, to, to, to use a language found elsewhere in Scripture, to excel still more and to root out the weeds of, of complaining and, and uh, Bitterness and murmuring and thinking that, that you deserve better than, than you have. Focus on who the Lord is. If you're struggling with, a, with just the difficulty of, of, of being thankful, take Psalm 100, read it and meditate on the reasons why we're called to thanksgiving. It's not about your circumstances. It's about God, that He is, a, is God, that He is good, His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, Lord, we want to celebrate who you are. We want to give thanks to you. We want to shout with joy. We want to serve you with gladness. We want to come before you with joyful singing. We want to know you as our God, for you have made us and not we ourselves. Help us, Lord God, to just to celebrate that, these facts in our lives as believers in Christ. And if there, there are those who are here this morning who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, may you work in their lives, Lord, opening their eyes to the beauty of Christ and the gospel, piercing them, Lord God, so that they can be convicted of their sins, that you would grant them faith in Christ and to turn away from sins and to believe unto Christ for salvation, that they would know the joy of salvation, that they would know what true giving of thanks is to God. Oh, Lord God, you are good. Help us, Lord, to praise you, to praise you, to give thanks to you, to bless your name. Lord God, you are faithful to all generations, and we just want to thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, to your namesake, first and foremost, but also to us. It's the name of Jesus we pray.